Welcome to episode 48 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. I'm your host, Cole Bear, sports correspondent for the Gazette, joined as always during hoop season by Nick Pateros of the WCF Courier. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick at Courier. I'm on Twitter at Real Cole Bear. Feel free to direct message any questions or comments you might have. And know that this podcast is available at thegazette.com, wcfcourier.com. It's on SoundCloud, and it's available on your podcast app on your Apple device. If that's where you listen to the podcast, Nick and myself would ask that you rate, subscribe, and review. Okay, let's get right into it, Nick. Uh, You and I, men's basketball, coming off of a 71-63 overtime loss at Loyola on national TV. It was an ESPN2 game Saturday night. Um, and Gentile Arena has not been too kind to anybody that does not have Ramblers across their chest, and that was the case uh, for the Panthers this past Saturday night. They get down by 16 um, a little before midway of that first half. I think it was about the 12-minute mark um, when they were down by 16 points, um, and that led to a number of things. That, that led to uh, a certain number of things unfolding in that game. What's still front of mind for you, Nick, uh, after being in Chicago, being at Gentile Arena covering that one. Yeah, I, I just don't know what's going on with these starts. That's now three games in a row where the opposing team has just came out and shot lights out against you and I. Uh, you've got the uh, Illinois State game, the Drake game, and now the Loyola game. Uh, I think they uh, Loyola was like 10 of 13 starting. Um, and then there's a, there's some turnovers, but most of them were dead ball turnovers. Is like uh, plays a couple of the plays uh, Jacob Coach Ben Jacobson pointed out where players had their uh, feet out of bounds on the sideline because that new three point line it, when you're trying to shoot a corner three you don't have much room over there. So there's a couple plays where they turned it over where the guy was standing out of bounds. Another one uh, where JD got the ball in the high post and didn't wait for a defender to clear uh, through it in. That was a live ball turnover. And then uh, I think what was uh, what was the other one. Uh, uh, the the other one's not coming. I'm to blanking mind. on it too. Oh, right it, now. actually, yeah. The, the, within their offensive set, they had two guys cut the same direction instead of one staying home, and AJ threw the ball away, thinking somebody was going to be staying home for a three. So that's that's four open three point looks they could have had in that game to to keep pace with Loyola, even when Loyola was scoring uh, pre- at a pretty efficient clip to start that game. So you know, there's there's kind of two ways to look at it. First of all, this defense needs to start games better because teams are just shooting lights out against them, and that's putting a lot of pressure on their offense. But the second point is th- this offense is good enough to to score with other teams in the conference, so they shouldn't be getting down 16 points early in a game either. Yeah, yeah, and you know when you you bring up these these teams that have gotten off to great starts against you and I the past three four games, it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, if you're you and I, do you mix up your look a little bit? Do you maybe trap a guard, trap the ball in the corner, um, show a little bit of zone? Ben Jacobson doesn't play much zone, but usually. A handful of times in every season, you see a little bit of it. Haven't seen it at all this season. Um, I recall a game back in the 2015-16 season. Actually, I think it may have been 14-15, that team, where they were down on the road at Illinois State, and they were able to get back in a game playing a 1-3-1 zone with Jeremy Morgan at at the top of that zone. Um, So I know there's probably people listening going, no way Ben Jacobson's going to play any zone, but just to show it for a handful of possessions to maybe try and get a team out of an early groove um, because the sample size isn't like very large and it's not something that's happened all season long. Uh, I do wonder, you know, how much is this, you know, kind of maybe somewhat of an aberration or does this have staying power? Is, is this going to be something where two weeks from now when we're doing this podcast, we're still talking about 
you and I opponents getting off to good starts and you and I not getting off to good starts. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's just kind of a blip on the radar, really, because you look at the way the season's gone. You and I hadn't trailed at halftime until like well into conference play. Uh, they, they really had been a good starting team. Uh, so, that Valpo game. Yep, the Valpo game was the first time they had a halftime def- deficit. So I think this is a team that really has come out pretty sharp throughout the season, and it just kind of shows how long a college basketball season is. And, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll have some games where, where maybe things aren't, aren't going your way for a stretch. But uh, the other part of the Loyola game certainly that stands out is, is the comeback, to get down uh, 16 early and then make it a manageable five points at halftime and uh, then uh, take the lead in the second half, uh, come back again after some – uh, turnovers really put them behind the eight ball late, and they, they had to make some shots. Uh, I, Isaiah Brown caught fire. Trey Burhow kind of had the Wes Washpin roll there on that free throw line extended jumper. Yeah, he did. And then, uh, obviously, AJ's uh, last second shot where Porter Mosier was asleep at the wheel with fouls to give and, and lets the best player in the conference uh, shoot a three-pointer to, to send it to overtime. And they had fouled, like, two or three times before yeah. that. Like, you and I shot maybe—I don't think they shot a single free throw that game, or, or maybe two. I think it was two. Yeah, yeah. It was all, all it was two. They, Haldeman should have had two in overtime as well, but different subject. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, they, they had five fouls to give at the end of that game, so they could have pretty much ran out the clock just fouling. Exactly. That's what I thought was going to happen, and I was just like— I, I was watching that all unfold where they weren't fouling A.J. Green— and it's like of everybody who could have the ball in their hand right now and you have fouls to give, you're not fouling A.J. Green? Like maybe if it was Spencer Haldeman, they say, oh, let's let's roll the dice here. Mm-hmm. Let's just play tight defense and let him shoot. Uh, but A.J. Green, I mean, at this point, you know, we've heard however many um, opposing coaches come in yeah. and talk to us and say that he's the best player in the league. Yeah. Um, so that was that seemed uncharacteristic by Porter. I, I mean, you're up three two in that situation. You could have tackled him, take an intentional foul, let him shoot two free throws, and it's still a one point game. And then you can foul on on the yeah. next inba- entry pass. <laughs> there's there's a number of different ways that they could have handled it with that wouldn't have been AJ Green getting a look for three to tie the game and send it into overtime. I, I would imagine Porter's not going to let something like that happen again. As good of a coach as he is, uh, one other thing we got to be sure to to talk about before we. Uh, move on, get into some other topics, move past this uh, Loyola loss for you and I is the heavy usage of you and I starters. They they all played 41 minutes or more. Obviously, uh, part of the reason why that number got so large is because of overtime. But had that game not gone to overtime, the, the minutes played still would have been large uh, for all five starters. Um, Nick, before I kind of say my piece on this, I'm interested to to hear what, what your thoughts on it. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I, I came across uh, this website. They they got got a hold of me on Twitter. Basically, it's called Stat House Analytics, and evidently these guys uh, keep track of five player units from from every college basketball team. So they'll look at you and I starting five, and you can p- compare them to every starting five in the nation essentially. And so you and I starting five ranks fourth nationally in minutes played which is pretty, pretty, pretty high. Yeah. But they're also leading the nation in scoring plus minus, and they're leading the nation in rebounding margin. So it, this is an incredibly productive starting five that you and I is putting out there on the court. I remember seeing on Twitter mm-hmm. maybe two months ago uh, that you and I starting five was leading the country in rebounding margin. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps it was these same guys mm-hmm. uh, that got a hold of you. So. I know I had seen that before on social media. That's interesting. That's cool that those guys reached out to you, and that's a very interesting stat. Um, yeah, I mean, I think anybody who even isn't in, 
who isn't digging into the numbers could tell you this is a very productive starting five. That being said, um, I thought it was obvious the last eight minutes, so the last three minutes of regulation and all five minutes of overtime, I thought it was obvious that you and I had lost its legs. Uh, well, I, they, I mean, they came back in the in the last three minutes of I, regulation. I know, I know, I know. Isaiah Brown made two threes, and, and Trey Burrow made a tough shot. A.J. Green made a three. Um, but I, I thought they looked tired. Mm-hmm. I did. And then in the overtime, I especially thought they looked tired, which by way of hindsight, I understand people could be like, well, that's pretty easy to say, Cole. On the other side of the coin here, too, um, Antoine Kimmins was a big reason why you and I won that first game yeah. against Loyola. It, One of it, his best games of his career. Yeah. And Justin Dahl, I thought, perhaps could have shown a little bit more. I know he had the turnover. We talked about mm-hmm. that. Um, but I thought that perhaps he could have provided a, a few more minutes of, of solid defense against Cameron Crutwig, who had a good game. Um, who's who's to say, I guess, because Crutwig is such a good player, but at the end of the day, I was I was surprised that Ben Jacobson went away from his standard rotations the way that he did in that game. Asked him about it uh, at his press conference on Monday, and he said, you know, we got down 16 early in the game. That's, that's why I did that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, looking back on it, as I analyze it, uh, I don't know, it, we can't say for sure, but I'm surprised that he made that decision and I don't know. I really don't know if it was in the best interest um, of the team uh, t- to shorten that rotation. Yeah, I, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll take the other side of that one. I, I think it was because uh, when you're chasing, you want to have Spencer Haldeman out there, and that was one of his better games. I think he was, he was probably you and I's most efficient shooter that game. So you had Haldeman out there knocking down three pointers instead of Pickford, who can't shoot threes. He's right. only made three all season, and and so when you're chasing, I think you need to go with go with the offense and just hope you can kind of cobble things together and get some stops on the defensive end. Uh, Fife was incredibly efficient in that game. He had seven assists, uh, you know, seventeen rebounds. So uh, you know, he was great. I, I think Crutwig took him a couple times, but he's going to do that to any center that's out there. Uh, he, he's an elite player, so I, I really think that starting five was the, the group you wanted to roll with. And uh, like Ben Jacobson said, you have the media timeouts that got stacked together. Yeah. Uh, some other timeouts that you can call. It's on national, nationally televised games. These these breaks are long enough that I think college kids can handle it. But then again, Nick, we sat here two podcasts ago, mm-hmm. and we were kind of you know wringing our wrists over AJ Green playing a lot of minutes. Well, in you a know, blowout, we, yeah. like, why is he out there in a blowout? Like, if, if A.J. Green breaks his nose diving for a loose ball when you're up 20 points, that's a little uh, tougher to, to handle than, than him breaking his nose diving I, for a loose ball. In I also remember us discussing, too, that it wasn't just that game. It was yeah. the fact that in conference play, period, mm-hmm. he was playing a lot of minutes. So um, if we're going to be concerned about A.J. Green's minutes, um, I, I think it's fair to, you know, analyze minutes that, that other players are are not playing and Probably, as I've already said, um, Antoine Kemp is playing three minutes in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, he brings some punch off the bench. Yeah. You know, he's a change of pace. We've talked about that plenty. Um, he, he could come in and you could leave shooters in. Uh, Taiwan Pickford, I thought, uh, could have maybe given Isaiah Brown a couple short rests. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Isaiah Brown still hit the, the two threes at yeah. the end. Uh, that that made overtime possible, but yeah, this is probably one of the the more head scratching moments for me when it comes to this season. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I, I just look at that starting group and and what they did was they they outplayed Loyola by 16 points over the final 30 minutes. So I, I think that that group really did get them back into the game. I, I think it's more the start that killed them than 
than the minutes and, and leg. Obviously, overtime, that's a different story. Uh, A.J. Green breaks his nose, going for a loose ball right at the beginning of that. And then he uh, takes the takes five shots. His first shot, five shots, misfired. You you miss your first five shots in, in overtime. You're you're behind the eight ball, and you're probably not going to win that. So, uh, you know, yeah, I thought that was just kind of a different thing. I, I didn't think their offense looked really good in overtime. It was basically AJ out there by himself and and no movement. And so, I, I just think it was more of a more of an offensive issue and, and not getting the, the normal uh, movements and rotations uh, that, 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 they can, that they usually have uh, from, from side to side. And you don't think that the lack of movement and rotations in the offense at overtime had anything to do with fatigue? Well, maybe fatigue did go into play in overtime, <laughs> but you don't play to go to overtime. You play to Very win true. the game. Yes, yes. Um, that's, <laughs> gosh, I love that quote. Uh, so let's, let's talk more about A.J. Green, Nick, because – uh, as a result of that broken nose, and I don't know if you ever, if you saw the slow mo replay, man, what a what a terrible hit that his yeah, face he, took against the floor. Was that Williamson that landed on yeah. him? Yeah. So he go dives for this loose. Basically, Spencer made a good play, knocks it out. He he dives. The ball tips down the court, and AJ comes out of nowhere. He's sprinting full speed, dives, uh, and, and he doesn't hit the his face doesn't hit the court until Williamson comes after the ball too. Yep. And he lands on him, and that that, that drove his nose just straight down into the yeah. ground. I mean. They were cleaning blood up off that thing for a while. I don't know how uh, the athletic trainer, Don Bishop, actually got that taken care of so he could get back into the game right now. Right, away. yeah. I, I thought there was no way they were going to get that bleeding to stop. So uh, just Don Bishop proving again how valuable he is uh, to, to this UNI team. I, I did see a picture. Uh, Kyle Green, uh, UNI's associate head coach, obviously the father of A.J., showed me a picture of AJ when I saw him on Monday mm-hmm. and uh, the picture if I'm not mistaken was from Sunday okay and AJ had a black eye that was so bad his eye was completely swollen shut now that's an issue yeah yeah so uh, I would imagine that certainly by now that swelling's gone down in a benefit to to you and I they play a day later than usual this week yeah if there's ever a day to play a Thursday game this week is is that week yeah so uh, obviously, it's not just the the broken nose. AJ Green dealing with a, a if I'm not mistaken, I think it would have been his right eye uh, that was swollen shut as a black eye. So it'll be interesting to see just you know how much of the bruising is, is still remaining there around that eye. It might be hard to tell because Nick uh, Ben Jacobson told us that AJ Green will be wearing one of those protective face masks, and uh, uh, he's never worn one before. So. It'd be interesting to see how that works out because if he starts um, that game against Indiana State Thursday night and misses his first four shots, you, you can bet every Panther fan in the world watching that game is going to go, "Oh man, this is no good. This this face mask is is bothering him." Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, just curious as anybody to see how that all plays out. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you, 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 when you kind of think back of it, a lot of prominent NBA basketball players have worn the face masks over the years. I remember uh, Westbrook having that. LeBron had that black face mask that yeah. looked really cool. Uh, most of them have the clear ones. Uh, Rip Hamilton might be one of the first ones I can remember with that. Yeah, and then like he was wearing it, his nose healed, uh-huh. but he was on a shooting streak during the face mask, during wearing the face mask. That Rip Hamilton just kept wearing it for the rest of his career. That was kind of weird. Yeah, so I mean, maybe the face mask will bring him some some luck, or you, you never know. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving had put up a, a career high forty one, and at, at that time when he was wearing a face mask uh, back with the Cavs. So uh, I, I've seen, uh, you know, at the professional level, there there have been some athletes that have certainly put up some really good numbers. That being said, they have access. I mean, th- these face masks they're wearing are probably you know pretty well fit, and uh, they have access to to the best technology out there. Yeah, I would bet they're like. 
laser measured and custom fit. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what AJ's looks like proportionally, how it fits to his face. Um, uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that one as, uh, you know, I wonder how much of an impact it has on peripheral vision. And that's mm-hmm. obviously important uh, for someone like AJ who has the ball in his hands all the time and is, it has consistently done a great job throwing passes all over the floor at all different times. Uh, moving along, um, I don't know how much meat we left on the bone here, uh, given uh, our let's conversation. Let's get back to rotations. Yeah, given yes. what we talked about earlier. But uh, let's talk about rotations a little bit more. Um, I, I have some numbers here. It's uh, Justin Dahl, the backup five. It's his minutes played over the past five games. Four, nine, 11, four, and four. That's an average of about six and a half minutes per game. It's just one of those things where not only do you wonder, um, you know, is this team, uh, the starters, will any of them get to a point where they start to feel tired? I mean, we forget um, maybe at times, uh, maybe even especially to, to point out to fans that these are student athletes. They have a full academic schedule while playing basketball and I mean I remember what it was like being in college without being a student athlete you get tired Uh, especially it seems like this time of year when the school year is is finally starting to wind down you can start to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with your academic year Um, and these starters have played a lot of minutes and also too Nick if you're not playing your reserves as much when you do need them, you wonder, will the will there be some rust? And I thought Justin Dahl was an example of, you know, he's gotten limited minutes. He has proven before that he can come off the bench after some DNPs and play well. Um, but this is where we are right now, where Justin Dahl over his past four games has played six and a half minutes per game. And uh, Noah Carter continues to play very limited minutes. It's just... When, if there's another game like Loyola where, or maybe not Loyola is the best example, but if there's a game where they need their bench and they show some rust, I think I'll sit there and go, well, it makes sense that they've got a little rust going on. Yeah, I mean, Dowell, you really haven't gotten out, anything out of him these last four games. He has two points uh, in, in, in four games, so, you know, it, there's there's not much going on there. Is that just basketball or is that rust from not playing? It's it's hard to identify in such a small sample. Yeah, and, and when you're only out there for six minutes, and you know, you look at how how productive the guards have been, you know. Yeah, and it's it's just one of those things that I think, like I said, there's we didn't really leave much meat on the bone here for this topic, given how we discussed it earlier. It's probably one of those things that we put our bookmark in this, and we come back two weeks from now, and we see how the minutes have been dispersed, uh, you know, over these last four regular season games heading into the Missouri Valley Conference yeah, tournament. And when you look at tournament play where you're playing, uh, you know, game game by game, you know, three games in a row, you're yeah. going gonna, gonna to have to rely on that bench to be able to come in and give you some production. So I think Noah Carter, Antoine Kimmins, Justin Dahl, uh, th- those three are going to be pretty key for the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. And the way it's looking now, you and I might have to go into that thing and, and win it all to, to get into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about the at-large chances before we talk Indiana State? Sure. I know we didn't have it on our agenda, but – uh, the net ranking is at 40 right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. It, it was at 36 before the Loyola game. Um, no quad two or quad one games uh, left on the regular season schedule, uh, I correct? I think Indiana State, this game Are they Indiana still State quad two? will be quad two on the road. Because it's yep. a road game. Yep, yep. Okay, so they'll get a quad two game against Indiana State Thursday night. Um, I would think that if you lost that game, you suppose they would at that point they're going to have to win? 
and get the automatic bid? Or is that the game left on the schedule that they could lose? Uh, yeah, I, I, because, I wonder I wonder if there's any game that you could lose, you'd think it'd be a quad two game. Right. But also, if you're losing that, another quad two game, you're, you're not really helping out your resume with a signature win. That's kind of the Loyola thing. That loss doesn't really hurt you, but it also doesn't give you anything to hang your hat on at the end of the day either. When, when you, you had a chance to go to Loyola and, and pick up a really good signature win. Um, and, and I actually think that, you know, you look at Southern Illinois and at Drake, those aren't going to be easy games either. Not to, at all. So to run the table and win those three games is, is going to be really tough. Drake is on the, that's a road game. Yep. They got to play in Des Moines. And I think Drake only has one, uh, home loss this season. And, and, and Indiana state just had their first home loss, uh, in, in their last games. So. And this was something yep. that Ben Jacobson talked about at his press conference this week, that it's kind of old school, the amount of success that teams have had these top half valley teams have had at home this year and he mentioned how really with the emergence of aau basketball that some of these profound home court advantages started to go away to a degree but uh i think it's bradley southern illinois drake indiana state and you and i all have no more than two home losses this season that's that's crazy stuff yeah, it really is when you think about it. But it's almost continuing the trend with college basketball as a whole, with the parity that you're finding across the board nationally. Uh, it just seems like the home team is, is really having a significant advantage here this year. All right, let's talk about this next game for the UNI Panthers, who are 22-3 and overall, 11-2 and in Valley play, obviously still in first place uh, in Terre Haute, Terradice, uh, Indiana <laughs> State. Uh, I can say that because I've been there. I've seen Teradice. Oh, I'll, uh, be, I'll be driving to Teradice tomorrow. It's uh, well, it's going to be a pretty exciting trip. Well, well drive safe, Nick. Uh, it's a 6 o'clock tip, um, uh, Central Time, and it's on ESPN+. Plus. Indiana State's 14-11, and 7-7 seven and seven in conference play. And when I think back to that first matchup, I remember that Indiana State did one of the better jobs um, that anybody in conference play has done in limiting A.J. Green and, ma- and making life tough on him. And if memory serves me right, Nick, I remember that after um, maybe midway, after midway through the first half, uh, the former Iowa Hawkeye point guard Christian Williams got off the bench, and he's a 6'5 point guard. Uh, he's long, and he did a good job on A.J. Uh, obviously, if you go back, you look at the numbers, I think it was like 14 points for A.J. Uh, in that win against Indiana State uh, in Cedar Falls. But uh, Christian Williams came off the bench, played like 26 minutes, scored 10 points, and played good defense. And he's in their starting lineup now. So I would imagine that's going to be the matchup, uh, at least one matchup to watch for sure uh, Thursday night is Christian Williams lining up against A.J. Green. Yeah, and then the other on the other end, you've got uh, Isaiah Brown probably guarding uh, Tyreek Key, one of the best scorers in the Missouri Valley Conference. And it's interesting because Key's coming off probably his worst shooting performance of his career. He played 31 minutes, and he is one for six for three points in wow. that in that home loss to Missouri State. So, not 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 hard to figure out uh, why the Sycamores didn't win that game. Uh, but Christian Williams put up 15 in that game, so he actually had supplied some offensive production. You've got Jordan Barnes in there, another 1,000-point scorer along with Key. Uh, so you've got two 1,000-point scorers in that, that guard court along with Christian Williams. So it's, it's a really experienced uh, guard 
uh, backcourt that they're going to be countering you and I with. And in that first meeting, you and I really took a, took advantage of their ex- inexperienced front court. Indiana State puts a couple freshmen up there in the front court, so you and I scored 40 points in the paint. Uh, Austin Fife went to work. The guards were able to find a lot off the dribble, and they're able to find some actions off the dribble. And, and really, that was a game where you and I abandoned the three pointer. They only attempted, yeah, uh, you know, I think maybe. What a little over ten three pointers in that 12. game, 12, 12 and they made three. So yeah, it was it was really one game, the one game this year where you and I uh, wasn't a factor with, with the perimeter shooting and and found things uh, inside. I thought, quite frankly, in that first matchup, that it looked like you and I almost ran a completely different offense because of just how uh, concerted of an effort it was to come down and throw that ball on the block to Austin Fife. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring that same game plan in because obviously. Indiana State's seen it now. They'll have an opportunity to prepare for it. I think given you know Austin Fife's efficiency on the offensive end, that if you and I uh, shows that they're going to make an effort to throw it on the block a lot, Indiana State's going to have to dig down and double team. And you and I usually starts licking its chops whenever teams start doing that. I mean that that's. I think that's definitely going to be something to watch early on in that game. Yeah, and Austin's really coming off a, a very good passing game, too, with the seven assists against Loyola. So if you can get him down there and, and in a spot where he can uh, find guys on the perimeter of some passes, maybe you and I ends up with going with a little bit different approach here and, and knocking down some three-pointers. Uh, the, the Holman centers hasn't been kind to the Panthers lately. And, and most recently, you and I absolutely got blown out there at Indiana State uh, in, in the final game before last year's Missouri Valley Conference tournament. So it, it'll be a very tough matchup. Any final thoughts, Nick, before we wrap up this episode of the pod? Yeah, just a, a very key stretch of games coming up for the Panthers this week. And I know I think we say this every week, but when you're having a season like you and I is having, when you get to this point in the year, everything just gets magnified. And you look at this trip to Indiana State, and then the the home finale uh, coming up. Uh, you know, you have the the senior day against Southern Illinois. Uh, probably their toughest home test with Evansville, the only other home game remaining. Uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, kind of play out here. Yeah, I'm interested to see it as well, and uh, I think that Drake game uh, in Des Moines that wraps up the regular season, it seems like definitely on paper you and I should be able to win these next three games at Indiana State, at home against Southern Illinois, at home against Evansville, but man, that that game at Drake, um, given how well the Bulldogs played in Cedar Falls, Drake's only had the one home loss, uh, that could be could be the game, in my mind's eye, uh, that decides whether or not you and I ends up with an at-large bid. Yeah, you, you'd, you'd like to see you and I, be, from you and I's perspective, like to see them to be able to run the table. And, and I think that would put them in a really good spot to have that at-large secured going into St. Louis, barring a, an upset loss in the quarterfinal round, because I think they'll play somebody pretty decent in the semis. But uh, th- that Drake game could be, could be the one that decides it. They're going to have to bring more than a D-plus effort there. Good stuff as always, Nick. Enjoyed it. As I said earlier, have a safe trip to Paradise. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Cole. Thanks for listening to episode 48 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. Remember, you can direct message questions or comments to my Twitter at Real Colbert. Stay up to date of Nick's coverage of UNI men's basketball at WCFCourier.com. Stay up to date of my coverage of UNI hoops, football, and more at thegazette.com. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.